0: One of the things I'm celebrating uh, personally is that um, this week I'm celebrating 15 years of marriage to my lovely wife, Janelle, yeah. That's right. And by the way, some of you, you have been married longer than Don't come up to me after church and be like, I've been married 50 years, like one upping me. Just come on, just don't rain on my parade. Just congratulate me. I mean, in today's world to make it just two or three years is like enough, you know, especially with the divorce rate as high as it is, you know, just 15 years. Come on, say congratulations, pastor. Good job. That's great. So. Yeah, yeah. One of the things I love, though, in our relationship is that um, often we do marriage counseling with people. And by the way, if I'm going to marry you, I will make you go through a year's worth of counseling before we do. And, um, and you know, it's, it's fun because we get to talk about our relationship. And one of the things that Janelle expresses when we're talking with young couples and with couples as we mentor them is she will often say this line. She will often say, hey, in our relationship, well, she wouldn't say in our relationship, she would just say, I'm the saver, not the spender. That's what she would say. She would just tell people. And she would say this to people when we're out and about and they're asking about the dynamics of our personalities and who we are. And she came from a family that is very frugal and they, you know, they're, they're amazing people when it comes to their finances. Some of the most generous people I know. And by the way, they just happened to be here today, which is great. Uh, moral support for this message. Woohoo. Um, but she will often say, I'm the saver, not the spender. And it's funny because um, I didn't think anyone or anything else was implicit in that conversation. But subliminally, over the last uh, 15 years, she's been giving a message that I really didn't grasp or understand. (laughs) And so imagine that. It's taken me 15 years to get here. But to everybody else she was talking to, it was like a wink and a head nod. Like, okay, you know where this is headed. And so she knew that I didn't understand what she was trying to hint at. And so she would ask me this question. Every year she's been asking me this question. What do you want for Christmas? Seems like a normal question around Christmas time, right? And that's the only thing she'll ask me. And then, ironically, for weeks on end, I'll walk around thinking, What do I want for Christmas? And um, then I approach her in humility, because that's the guy I am. (laughs) And I will say, you know, this year, I don't want you to spend anything on me. Um, you just go ahead and give it to somebody else or we just give it to our kids. And really what I'm saying is I have essentially purchased everything that I've wanted all year long leading up to this point, And there's nothing left for you to buy. And it clicked 15 years into our marriage. And I finally just admitted the other day, I am the spender. She is the saver. And essentially what she had done is she had called me out. Like, basically what had happened is um, I was blatantly ignoring and trying not to acknowledge the truth, which was I love stuff. And not just stuff, I like really nice stuff. I mean, I'll just just be honest, this week um, I was tasked with buying pens for our new church. I did not look at the prices, but after I made the three choices... I happened to pick out the most three expensive pens that we could possibly buy. And I looked at it, I'm like, why in the world? I mean, it's just a habit. I just like nice things. And so it's frustrating because I want to be a saver, not a spender. I want to be thrifty. I want to be frugal. And sometimes when you get whatever you want and you get nice stuff, it comes across as arrogant and narcissistic. And I know how it looks. I'm sorry, it's just a habit, I guess. But my wife has called me out on it and I, and I love that. But the thing is, is we don't like when we're called out on things. How many of you have ever been called out on something? Anybody in here, right? Maybe you have told the truth, but you've not told the whole story. Anybody ever done that before? That's my favorite thing. We have somebody laughing over here. Uh, Susan, thanks for telling us the truth. Um, Some of us have told the truth, but not the whole story. My kids do this. Uh, From back in their rooms, I will hear one of them, I will hear, you know, Carter say, hey, Miles hit me. And then when I get ready to say, Miles, he'll say, but Carter pinched me. Right? He didn't tell me the whole story up front. And so maybe somebody has called you out on the fact that you didn't tell the truth up front. And when they did, when they called you out, you got really upset and you got really angry about it. Right? You ever ever had any areas, maybe you came home with a new house. I bought two houses um, without Janelle. It was kind of crazy. Now, it doesn't sound as bad as you think. Like, she wasn't there in the state when I bought the home, so, but it sounds kind of cool. But maybe you have bought a home, maybe you bought a car, a pair of shoes, or maybe you have a new phone, and you don't know how you're going to pay for the phone bill, and you get home and your loved one, your parents say to you, have you thought about how you're going to pay for this? How you are going to afford it? And when they call you out, you get upset. Big thing that we don't like being called out on is our health. This is why you don't like doctors. When you go to doctors, they tell you the truth about you that you are in denial about. You know, the little thing that you keep ignoring that you think will go away that doesn't go away, and yet you just think it's going to, and then you go to the doctor and they tell you what you don't want to hear. This is why you don't like them. But they essentially are calling you out on your anxiety, your depression, your weight, your health, whatever it is, and we don't like it. We get upset about it. And here's what I know about all of us. I think this is just human nature uh, instead of being called out because it makes us upset, we like to let things slide, right? Isn't this true? Like when it, comes to, when it comes to when you're in the wrong, you would prefer to be on the side where somebody just lets it slide. They don't acknowledge it. They just let it go, right? Um, one of the things I loved as a kid, I loved Halloween, Because I would go into my mom's room early in the morning. As kids would go in our our parents' room early in the morning. By the way, kids, this is how you get candy. You go in when your parents are half asleep. And you say, can I have a piece of candy? And they're still tired from the day before because you put them through the ringer. And they don't want to have to think about another decision for you. And so my mom would often say, half awake, I suppose. Which meant, I really don't want you to have this. I want to call you out, but I'm going to let it slide. You can have a piece of candy. And of course, we'd have the whole bucket gone by the time she got up maybe you've blown a stop sign. Anybody blow a stop sign before? I've done this before. We've been headbanging in the car with the boys and accidentally gone through a red sign like, Dad, that's a red light. Whoops, there we go. And then you get pulled over and it's fun when a cop says, hey, I'm just going to give you a what? A warning. That's right. Oh, it's like a relief. Thank you, officer, for giving me a warning. They're just going to let it slide. And the reason why we like for it to to slide and just to let it go is because we're really uncomfortable when we get called out. And I'll just say this. Think about when you're on the other side of it. How many of you have been at a place at a point in your life or a relationship where you've had to call somebody else out? Or maybe you knew you were supposed to call them out, but you didn't want to call them out because it would mean fighting, it would mean confrontation, it would mean conflict, and by nature you don't want to do that. And so what do you do? You just ignore it. You let it go. You let it slide and honestly, welcome to my life as a pastor. Like there are lots of things that I have to let go. I mean, you do not want Brad talking to you. You want pastor talking to you. Because if I were personally talking to you, it wouldn't be kind and gracious. But there are a lot of times that I have to let things go. I have to let it slide. And what we're talking about, what we're not actually talking about, but we're going to talk about, is the thing that I've been sliding for years. Because everybody I talk to says, hey, every pastor talks about giving every pastor begs and pleads and makes us feel like we're being coerced into giving something we don't want to give and i don't want to do that i don't want to beg you and so i've let it slide for four years and so welcome to the last four weeks of your life and so today i I want to call us out but i don't want you to get ticked off because i want to take you you deeper Does that make sense? So I'll put on my Joelstein face. We'll smile about it. I don't want you to be upset. I want to take you deeper this morning. We're going to have lots of good fun. It's going to be a great time. God loves you. Right? So to do that, we're going to look at some advice written by an entrepreneur and an innovator. And uh, this guy named Paul goes around and he begins to plant churches everywhere. And anybody who's responsible for starting something new, uh, starting change, and creating businesses and churches around the world would know that it takes a lot to create create and shape shape certain kind of cultures. And that was what Paul was responsible for. But Paul was constantly on the move. And so what would happen is he would plant these churches, and then these churches would get upset with him because he was always on the Move. By the way, a good majority of the New Testament is advice written by Paul, the church planner, to churches who are upset with him because, you know, they're not getting the leadership that they think they should get. And so they're constantly calling Paul out. But what I love about Paul is he doesn't back down and he doesn't let it slide. He just acknowledges the fact he just acknowledges the fact he owns up to it. But then he calls out communities and churches the reason why I love Paul and I look at his leadership and think wow, I should be more like that and at the table we said hey, we want to have tough conversations. The reason we do that is Paul knows if you don't call people out, they will never get healthy. He knows that if you don't call them out, they don't make good followers of Jesus Christ. And so today He's talking about our favorite thing. And by the way, you're going to love the humor in this. But there is something deeper that I want us to hang on to other than giving that he's talking about. So y'all ready for this? It's so good. Here he goes. Uh, I love how he starts this. Uh, if I, By the way, he's writing to a church in Corinth and it's, it's pretty funny. He says, if I wrote any more on this relief offering for the poor Christians, I'd be repeating myself. That's sarcasm for those of you who don't get it. That's sarcasm. And he's essentially saying, I'm tired of writing about this. Let's get it together. If I wrote any more on this relief offering for the poor Christians, I'd be repeating myself. He says, I know that you are on board and you are ready to go. I've been bragging about you all throughout the Macedonia region and the province. And I've been telling, he's bragging about them. I love this. He's building them up. He's talking about how great they are. He says, and the Cape province has been ready to go ever since last year. And then he tells this about him. He says, your enthusiasm, your enthusiasm for this relief offering has spread to the entire world around me. It has spread to most of them. And then he continues. And he says, now I'm sending the brothers. Dun, dun, dun. To make sure that you're ready in other words here comes the mafia i'm totally kidding that's not true they didn't have mafia back then everybody was good (laughs) he says now i'm sending the brothers to make sure you're ready as i said you would be so my bragging check this out he says i've been telling everybody that you're ready he says so my bragging won't turn out to be just hot air (laughs) And then he continues the next part. He says, if some Macedonians and I happen to drop in on you and they found that you weren't prepared, (laughs) this gets even better, he says, we would all be pretty red faced. You and us for acting so sure of ourselves. So he said to make sure that there will be no, check this out, slip up. In other words, to make sure that I don't let this slide, I have recruited these, these brothers. I, I really want to know who these guys were. I mean, were they jacked up on steroids? Like, did they come in with machine guns? Like, what did these guys do that I'm not doing? You know, maybe we need to try a new approach here at church this morning. I recruited these brothers as a team in advance. And he continues, to get you and your promise offering already before I get there. I want you to have all the time you need to make sure that you are giving this offering in your own way. And then he ends it this way. I don't want anything. Hear my heart this morning. I am a man after Paul's heart. I don't want anything forced and hurried at the last minute. This is so important to the story. I love the humor in this story because it's almost like how you talk to your neighbor. How many of you have had this conversation with your neighbor? Your neighbor or your friend is talking to you about all the problems they have in their life and you're understanding and you're empathetic, but not only are they telling you about the problems they have, but then they have the to-do list to go with it. I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to do this. And so you've said this, I've said this before, or maybe I'm just a really bad person, but I will say to them, I will say to them, hey, if you need help, just let me know. Do you guys ever said that to your neighbor? If you need help, just let me know. And then when you walk away, you think, my goodness, I hope they never call me. <laughs> okay, I guess it's just me. I'm really a horrible person. But you, but you know, like, you have the intent of helping somebody. You want to help them out. But you know that when it comes down to it, if they took you up on your offer, a lot of times, a lot of times... The inconvenience call comes with a crazy schedule. Like you're busy, you're doing things, and you want to help them, but your intent was there, but the follow through was not. And, and I love this because I want to give you a little backstory to get to the baseline of what Paul's getting at. Some of you may not understand that, that Paul had to go before a group of Jesus followers. And the reason he had to go before them is because he was the guy responsible for killing their loved ones, their spouses, their friends. This guy went around literally killing these people's family members because they were followers of Jesus. And then he decides out of nowhere, hey, I think I like this Jesus guy. And, oh, by the way, I think I'd like to be a leader in this movement, the very one that, you know, by the way, I'm sorry about your mom. Sorry about your daughter. I didn't mean to kill her. I was an angry person back then. But now this guy is standing in front of these leaders in Jerusalem saying, I want to be a church planner. I want to be a leader and a part of this. And, of course, they're looking at him like, this is the guy who essentially took out my whole family. And of course, there are people that go up and they vouch for him and they say, listen, his life has changed. Uh, we need to be forgiving. We need to be gracious. He is a Jesus follower at this point. And so the leaders in Jerusalem decide, you know what, we will commission this guy. I love this about them, that people who have hurt them and people, uh, people who have done harmful things to their lives, they said, you know, what? we'll forgive you. And not only will we forgive you, but we will commission you to lead all over the world. And say so they said this on one condition. On one condition. And the condition is is that you give you give offerings that you will give payments and gifts to the poor in Jerusalem. I love this by the way that this is how the church and the movement of Jesus was started. And by the way, this is how the church of the Nazarene was started, was we were committed to the poor and helping those in need. And so they said, when you go out and when you plant these churches, we need you to do one thing, and that is send a gift back from all these other churches to help out the poor people back in Jerusalem. And so Paul is writing to these people because they said, we promise to give, we promise to help, but it looks like they're backing up on their promise. And so here's the baseline. Here's what I want to give you now that I tell you that story. And this, Paul doesn't say this, but this is what I'm saying. Intent is not a substitute for initiative. The reason why Paul is calling them out in this moment is he begins to understand that they have great intent. But there's little follow through and there is a, n- a little initiative on the back end. And a lot of times, I think our intentions are good, but the initiative of actually following through is quite poor. You know how I know that? Go to a fundraiser. How many of you have been to fundraisers before? Like, we've all been to fundraisers. You, you get it, right? It's fun environments. It's exciting. They have good music. The food sometimes is good, although the portions are small. I like healthy portions, you know. Uh, I really like big stuff sometimes they give you the half a piece of meat and a green bean, you know. Uh, but it tastes good. But the food is good, the music's out. And then they have a speaker come up and they start pulling at your heartstrings and all of a sudden your wallet's bigger than your bank account. You've, okay, I've done this, yeah. And so, in fact, I did this with Ron. We went to one of their, um, you know, one of their events to raise money and I thought, wow, this is so touching. I want to give. And then I wrote down the amount. But here, that was great intent. But then, you know when they they call you, and they don't stop calling you for their money? And eventually, you take out your phone, and you click this. This is a really cool button, by the way, over here. I don't know if you know this, but that, like, sends people to voicemail. (laughs) Sorry. And I would just keep hitting that button and hitting that button, and then they would send me letters, and I'd tear up the letters. And my intent was good, but my initiative was horrible. Horrible. And I'll just be honest, I think a lot of times as a church and as a community we have great intentions, but the initiative is lacking. Like yesterday we say, we gave out a hundred backpacks and we celebrate that and we're thankful for that because in the name of the table, in the name of Jesus, we gave out a lot of backpacks. But what I failed to tell you is that one generous donor who doesn't even go to our church provided the majority of those backpacks. We love the intent of, oh, look at us, we're amazing, we're giving, we're helping the poor, we're helping those in need, but yet, thank you for somebody who doesn't even go here who provided all the backpacks. Intent is not a substitute for initiative. And I know now you, it sounds like I'm, I'm begging you, and so Paul says this, because he knows this is how it's perceived as well. Here's what he says. He says, carrying out this social relief work involves far more Than helping the bare needs of these Christians. These poor Christians. It's far more than that. He says it also produces abundant and bountiful thanksgiving to God. The relief offering. And I love this. When you give to the poor, by the way. When you help out people in need. When you give to your community. When you give to the church. He says you are. Check this out. Say it with me now. To live at your very best. Do you feel like you're living your very best when you give? Or does it feel more like an obligation? He continues. He says, this relief offering is for you to live at your very best and to show your gratitude to God by being, say it with me, openly obedient to the plain meaning of the message of Christ. Wow. Now, I want to help you here because this is some deep stuff. How many of you have ever had to confess to somebody? How many of you um, in your relationship with your spouse or your friends? uh, I've done this. My goodness. I am a horrible person, just so you know that. Uh, In our relationship, Janelle and I's relationship, there are times I like to be right because usually I am. And um, we will... We will kind of get into it and we'll have a conversation. And Janelle's tendency is just to walk away. But I like to keep at it because I want to win. And here's the truth. There are times where I know she's right. I know that she's right. She's by far, it has proven me wrong in the, in the conversation. But I continue to make my point even though I know I'm wrong because I want to be right. Anybody else do this? So, you just keep going in the conversation. You keep fighting. You're making your point. You're going to be right at the end. Or maybe you went through the whole conversation knowing that, like thinking that you were right. And then when you sat down, you're like, oh my goodness, Uh, I was really wrong. In fact, they were right. And if you really care, if you really care about them, you want to make it right. And so you go to them and you say, I'm sorry. Except, do you do this as parents, or maybe we, my parents did this to me? When you say, I'm sorry, what did they say? Why? Why are you sorry? <laughs> or what? <laughs> That's a terrible thing. I hate that. <laughs> because now you have to confess. You have to confess the very thing that you did. But when you confess, think about this. When you confess to somebody, it is a statement about where you stand in relationship to them. And I know when Paul's talking about giving, it feels like he's begging. And I know it feels like it's something obligatory or something that we have to do. But I love this word obedience because when I hear the word obedience, it's like something that you just have to do. And when somebody tells me that I have to do something, I automatically don't do it. And maybe that's how you're feeling when we're talking about giving. And when Paul's talking about this, he's saying, hey, I need you to be obedient. And you're like, who are you to tell me what to do? Here's why. Obedience literally gets translated, when you begin to unpack it, when you begin to parse it out, it literally means a confession of faith. Think about this. That your obedience, that the Corinthians who were giving at this time, their obedience to giving to the people who were poor back in Jerusalem were making a statement about where they stand in relationship to the message and to the mission of Jesus. Confession. Obedience. You see, when you are obedient in your giving, you essentially are making a statement about where you personally stand in relationship to, with Jesus and the mission and message that he has for the world around him. And so I just want you to say this yeah, you can put it up there. One of the greatest statements of faith is gratitude expressed in generosity. One of the greatest statements of your faith. And I know students, you think you don't have any money, but the truth is, is you have phones and all other kind of cool things and you can get drinks at Starbucks. Listen, you can be gracious as well and you can, you can give as well, I promise you. One of the greatest statements of faith is gratitude expressed in generosity. And I would love to be part of a community that becomes gratuitously obedient in their giving. I want to be part of a community that doesn't live on intention, but they live on initiative. And I love what Paul sandwiches in between this entire passage. I gave you the beginning. I gave you the end. But this is so important. Here's what he says. In fact, he says, he says, remember, remember, a stingy planter gets a stingy crop. By the way, this is not an investment strategy. Don't think if I give $100, I'm going to get $100 back. No, that's not how it works. A stingy planter gets a stingy crop, but a lavish planter gets a lavish crop. And then he continues and he says, I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over. Remember he said, hey, I don't want this to be coerced. I don't want this to be forced. I don't want you to think that this is something you have to do. But he says, I want you to take plenty of time to think it over. And then he says the most important words. He says, make up your own mind. What you will give. And here's why. That will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. Because God loves it when the giver delights in giving. So, I'm going to borrow Paul's words today. Here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to hear for the rest of the day. I want you to make up your own mind what you will give. I love that Paul doesn't say, make up your mind if you want to give. He says, as a community of faith and as a church, we are responsible, we are responsible that in giving we connect ourselves with the message and the mission of Jesus Christ. And so I need you to make up your mind what you will give. Remember, it's initiative that supersedes your intention. Like I have this problem where I will sit down and I'll say this month we want to save this much but then there are things that come along that I want to buy and so I buy them and my intention was to save it but I ended, obviously end up spending it and my savings account never gets bigger because I'm too busy spending what I was supposed to be saving to begin with yeah? you with me on this? my intentions were great follow through not so good And so personally, in our lives, I'm just letting you know where we stand. Uh, Janelle and I have made up our minds ahead of time so that there will be no, like, intention over initiative. We have made up our minds what we will give. And if you were here last week, which, by the way, you should have been, first in 10, let's do it again. Come on, everybody, you remember this. We've just said we want to give God the top 10% because he's entrusted us with 90%. How gracious is our God that He would give us this much? And so we just want to give back. And so, because I'm forgetful, again, attention, we have it automatically withdrawn every single week. And I know that doesn't seem holy because it's not going into an offering plate. And, you know, there may be less joy in that or something. But we've just said the reason why we'll do it is because we don't want our intentions to be the only thing that, that happens. We want initiative. So we've just made up our minds. We're going to give 10% to the church right up front. That's just what we're going to do. And it automatically comes out every single week. And the reason I do that, again, is because I know that if I'm not present here or if I forget my checkbook, that when I walk out of here, I have great intentions of coming back and paying what I missed. But again, I'll end up spending it. Do you do that? I mean, like you miss a week on Sunday. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to give. I'll get that next week. And when you get here next week, you're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know where that went. <laughs> and so I would just say, make up your mind. What you, if you need to do a reoccurring giving thing, do it. I need you to make up your minds, what you will give. And so for us to move forward in this and for us to take a next step, here's what I want you to do. And by the way, if you're new to church, this is your first time here, this isn't for you. You can point fingers at everybody else. I want to take it to the next tier. Like all of us fits in some giving category. And I'm going to go through these real quick, but you fit in here somewhere and I want to challenge you to make up your mind to make up your mind. And so the first one is some of you in here today don't give it all. You're like, hey, I, you know, I didn't know I was supposed to. Well, it's really just about a confession of your faith. It's about where you stand with Jesus. And so if you say I'm a follower of Jesus and I believe in, in what he's doing in this world, then part of that is supporting what he's doing. And so you just say, hey, I wanna become a first time giver. I'm not giving, I want to give. The other group is recurring givers. Now, there are some of you here this morning who you just give, whether it's once a month, whether it's once a year, whether it's you give and you give it the same time all the time. But, you know, it may not be the same each time. You just give reoccurring. The next group is the the tithers. We call them the tithers. These are the 10, like the 10 10%, percenters, not top 10 percent, but these are people who just give 10 percent of their income. Tithe literally means 10. That's where we get that from. And so there's some of the church who've said, hey, we're gonna give God the, the first portion of our lives. We're just gonna give 10% over and over and over again. And then of course, the last category is the extravagant givers. Now here's a little secret that I wanna let you in on this morning. We obviously don't talk about finances a lot. Maybe we should. But there are extravagant givers who essentially support this entire thing. If it wasn't for about five or six families, we wouldn't be standing here and we wouldn't be over there four years I mean I'm thankful I'm thankful for the people who have given to this church over the course of its life because if it wasn't for them we wouldn't have what we have now but a lot of that was supported by the same six to ten families and they were extravagant givers and you're saying yeah well they have a lot of money it's not really about how much they have it's just their willingness to sacrifice because it may look like a lot but I know that it's a sacrifice and a lot of times when we say hey we need this some of them would just step up and say I've got that and a lot of times it's for student initiatives when you guys go on your trips when you do your things that are fun and exciting and a lot of times we can't afford it or pay for it there are people who step up and say I'll cover that I'll cover your t-shirts I'll cover your trip extravagant givers so you should be thankful by the way for that And so my challenge to you is, I want you to take it to the next tier. You fit somewhere in here, and my goal is to push you to the next level. Because when we do that, when we do that, it's not just about a confession of faith, but it moves us to a different level of trust with Jesus. And so I've got to sit down with my wife. Maybe we'll do it on our anniversary this week, I don't know. And we'll talk about how we can become extravagant givers. What would it look like? That's what it looks like. This week, I want you to sit down with your spouse. I want you to sit down with yourself if you're not married or in a relationship. And I just want you to have this conversation with God. What would it look like for me to move to the next tier? What would it look like for me to sacrifice just a little bit more? And as you do it, just say, God, I want to be obedient because it's a statement about where I stand with you. So let's pray.